This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello, and welcome back to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Miles Danhausen Jr., writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. If you're listening to this podcast, then you're probably someone who has stepped outside at night in Door County, looked up at the dark night sky, and found yourself in awe of the stars and the Milky Way on a clear night. Maybe you stood there for a time with your neck arched backward, or took a moment to lay down in the grass and wonder what's out there. Most of us stop there, though. Today, we're joined by someone who has spent her entire life not just wondering, but seeking answers. Dr. Heidi Hamill is the Vice President for Science at the Association of Universities for Research in Astronomy, a consortium of 47 U.S. institutions and international affiliates that operates the observatories for NASA. As we speak, she is eight days away from one of the most exciting and I would imagine nerve-wracking days in her life, the launch of the revolutionary James Webb Space Telescope. Dr. Hamill, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here. I, I can't imagine how excited you must be and how nervous you must be and all sorts of people involved in, in science and space exploration must be as this launch date approaches. Yeah, it's a, it is a very nerve-wracking time for us. I've been working on this project for over 20 years <laughs> now. And to have it, you know, be turning into a, just a, an idea and then sort of PowerPoint and then pieces... But now have it to be real, a real telescope on the launch pad in French Guiana, about to go off into space on a huge rocket. I, I you know, it's, it's, there's so many feelings, it's sometimes harder for me to articulate them. <laughs> I can only guess at that. I mean, this is a nearly $10 billion project that you are sending into space. And for our listeners who don't know anything about the James Webb Telescope, can you tell us, kind of give us the high-level version of like what it is and why this is so exciting? Yeah, absolutely. James Webb Space Telescope is a new kind of telescope. We've never built one quite like this before. It's going to have a main mirror. That's the collecting part of the telescope. Collects the light from the universe. That's much larger than Hubble's. Hubble's mirror is about 2.4 meters across. This telescope is about 6.5 meters across. That's like 21 feet across. That's how big <laughs> this telescope's mirror is. Huge. And we are sending it uh, not into low Earth orbit like Hubble. We're sending it instead a million miles away from the Earth. And we're doing that for a very special reason. This telescope is going to be able to take infrared images of the cosmos. The Hubble Space Telescope focuses mostly on visible wavelengths and some ultraviolet, but mostly visible like we see with our eyes. But we're designing Webb to look at longer wavelengths of light because, first of all, we haven't had a space telescope, a large space telescope like Webb to do this before. So it's going to open up whole new fields of science. And also because one of the key science goals of this telescope is to see the very first galaxies that ever formed in our universe. And we know that those galaxies emit most of their light at red wavelengths. And so that's why we've built Webb to work at red wavelengths. And uh, it's not just going to do that 
one thing, it's going to do so much other science as well. It's going to look at how galaxies evolve over the age of the universe. It's going to be studying planets around other stars and looking for the chemical signatures in their atmospheres to determine whether or not those planets might be amenable to life as we know it. And we're going to study objects within our own solar system. That's my particular field of research mm-hmm. with Webb, studying stuff in our solar system. But Webb is going to do all this other amazing work as well. And that's why the whole community is excited about the launch of this telescope. Can you take me back in time a little bit to the Hubble? Uh, when I was a kid, I'm 43. I, I was probably like 10, 11 years old when we first started hearing about this in grade school. And it was kind of this mind-blowing idea at the time. But... That launched around 1990. It's been up there for about 30 years. What did we learn from Hubble? What did that do to advance our understanding of the universe? Wow. Hubble has rewritten the the books on (laughs) astronomy. There's before Hubble and after Hubble. Hubble was, uh, its key science goal was to figure out the size of the universe, you know, that's kind of a big question. How big is the universe? <laughs> but that's what Hubble was designed to do by studying distant galaxies and looking at exploding stars in distant galaxies to figure out really, truly what the scale of the universe is. But Hubble was so powerful that it allowed not only that science to happen, but also, uh, like Webb, was used to study other galaxies, used to study the stars in other galaxies, the stars in our local environment. Since the discovery of planets around other stars, Hubble has taken some of the first steps to try to understand those planets around other stars. And Hubble has also revealed remarkable stuff in our own solar system. My first program with Hubble was in 1994 when a comet was discovered on a collision course with Jupiter. Hmm. And I, I got to have the privilege of using the Hubble Space Telescope to watch Jupiter as the fragments of this shattered comet, Comet Shoemaker-Levy 9, crashed into the planet and created massive explosions and left huge debris clouds in that planet's atmosphere that lasted for months. It was a remarkable event. Some of your listeners probably do remember seeing images of Mm -hmm. Jupiter as comet fragments were smashing into it. And that was all possible because Hubble was there in orbit taking great data. Some of your listeners probably um, remember when Hubble was first launched in 1990, there was a problem with its primary mirror. It was not quite the right shape, but it was perfectly the wrong shape. So we were able to install corrective optics. Um, Astronauts serviced Hubble Five times we sent teams of astronauts to Hubble to service it and make it fabulous for 30 years. With Webb, you won't be able to do that. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you, like, Hubble, we launched that into space. That was a huge thing. And when it didn't work right away, I remember that being somewhat controversial of like, oh, wait, we did this. We did this huge project and now we need to go up and fix it. And hopefully we can. It's a different story with James Webb, right? It is a different story with Webb. We can't send astronauts out to where it will be in space, but uh, it's a different kind of telescope than Webb. Hubble was a single piece of glass in its main mirror. 
the Webb telescope is designed as 18 different segments of glass that together will work as one mirror. And those different segments can move and be adjusted by us using radio controls from the Earth and to put them into the proper shape. And so we will not have a repeat of what happened with Hubble with Webb because we will be adjusting the mirror in real time in outer space to make it exactly the right shape. Now that will take some time, and this is important for listeners to know. Um, we aren't going to we're going to launch Webb right now. Our launch date is December twenty second. So, like you said, you know we're now counting days, <laughs> but we will not get images right away. It takes us a full month to travel from the Earth out to the second Lagrange point, L2, and that's where we're going to locate Webb. And and where is L2? If you started at the Sun and went in a straight line to the Earth and continued on your straight line for a million miles, four times the distance from the Earth to the Moon, get out there, that's where we're putting Webb. And we can't send astronauts there. (laughs) You know, they, they only go to low Earth orbit right now. And so we are designing Webb so that we can manipulate its mirror segments, we can manipulate our electronics on board, everything is designed to be adjustable. So after it takes a month to get to L2, then it takes us a full two months to line up all those mirrors so that they're perfectly in focus. Hmm. Um, and, and so that'll take a long time. And then we have to take another couple of months to get our instruments all ready to go. So when we launch on December 22nd, don't expect to get pictures right away. <laughs> it won't be until probably July of next year that we get the first science pictures back from Webb. And we're pl- it's planned that way, you know, so... Right. Shouldn't be you know worried worried that they haven't seen images. You know we're not expecting to get our first science data until July. It just takes that long to get all this big complex mirror aligned. Well, for our listeners who who don't know much about this yet, I will provide some links at the the podcast homepage for this, so you can check out what this thing looks like, or just Google James Webb Space Telescope. It's just uh, this beautiful large honeycomb shape kind of mirror or series of honeycombs and then um just how this thing folds up to fit in the rocket is amazing like the design that goes behind it and the fact that this thing has to then deploy come out of that rocket and deploy perfectly i can't even fathom how many different test runs and how many different scenarios that they've had to put this thing through because they have to do it all on the ground like the the trial period is all on the ground. Now you send it into space and it's got to operate correctly. This just has to be... You're absolutely right. And, and I'll tell you, we have tested it six ways to Sunday. <laughs> We've tested it in uh, chambers that simulate the cold of space and the vacuumlessness of space. And we've tested it under all different conditions. We found problems while we were testing, and we fixed those problems. <laughs> and so, I, you know, it is a, a marvelous space origami engineering exercise, which we've never done before. But you know what? This is what this is what we do uh, when we're working at the cutting edge of science and engineering. This project that is being led by NASA and also has contributions from the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency, 
to me, is really an example of what we can do when we all work together to really do something unique and amazing. So it's, it's incredibly exciting. Yeah, just if we, if we took all this energy we expend on frivolous things and focus it on things like this, we can do some pretty remarkable Remarkable stuff. You know, tell me a little bit about Aura. I mentioned that in the introduction to this podcast, but what is this organization that you're a part of and that I only found out about because my sister works there? So she turned me on to this, really started sending me a lot of information about the James Webb and sent me down this rabbit hole of, of discovery and watching space movies and just staring at the stars again. What does the Aura organization do? Sure. Aura stands for Association of Universities for research in astronomy. And what Aura is, it's an, uh, an organization that manages large telescopes for the U.S. government, both in space and on the ground. So our ground-based telescopes are all funded by the U.S.'s National Science Foundation, NSF, and we have big telescopes on mountaintops all around the world. Uh, mountaintops in Arizona, Kitt Peak Observatory, mountaintops down in Chile, Cerro Tololo and Cerro Pachon, and um, mountain, a mountain in Hawaii called Mauna Kea. We have large telescopes at all of those sites, and Aura is the organization that hires the people that run these telescopes for the astronomers to use them. So astronomers from all over the world use all of our telescopes wherever they may be. You don't have to be a member of Aura to use our telescopes. You just have to have a really great science idea. Those are our ground-based telescopes. Aura also runs the Space Telescience Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. That's the place that does science operation, the Hubble Space Telescope. So we're the group that, you know, if you want to use Hubble, once a year you have an opportunity to send a proposal to the Space Telescope Science Institute, and if your proposal is ranked highly enough by a panel of your peers, you will get time on Hubble. And the Space Telescope Science Institute is also going to be the mission operations center for the James Webb Space Telescope. So if you imagine a control room with, with lots of computer monitors and people sitting at those monitors like you might have seen in the movies, that's going to be a space telescope for James Webb. So for launch day, that's where I will be, up in Baltimore, near the mission operations center. I won't be in the Mission Operations Center. Only the people who are, you know, doing the actual hands-on work will be in Mission Ops. But I'll be out in the auditorium watching the live stream from NASA showing the launch of Webb and just, you know, ready to cheer along with all the astronomers around the world as we put this telescope up in space. So that's what Aura is. We run these large telescopes so that astronomers from around the world you know, have telescopes to do their research. You know, as you spoke of the day where you will be watching the launch, what do you anticipate that day to feel like? Where are you just going to be sweaty, sweaty palms? Or is it going to be, are, are you afraid of anything in particular or just astounded well, by look, what you're about to see? <laughs> this is rocket science and it's hard. We are putting our precious $10 billion space telescope on the top of a giant rocket, an Ariane 5 rocket. And we're, 
lighting the fuse and sending the rocket up into space. That's scary. It, it just is. Now, I have the greatest confidence in the Ariane 5 because Ariane Spas has launched many, many Ariane 5 rockets, and they've all been successful launches. But, you know, you're still nervous. And the telescope itself, as we were saying, is it's a very unusual and complex piece of engineering that has to unfold and open up and little pulleys have to go and little little actuators have to unactuate. You know, you have so many things. I think there's something like 334 different unique things that have to happen to get this telescope all completely unfolded. And any one of those, you know, uh, you know, you, we, worry, we worry about it. But I will say that we have been worrying about this for close to 20 years now. <laughs> and that's what we, you know, it's been taking a long time to get to where we are because we've been testing and retesting and shaking the telescope and baking the telescope and freezing the telescope. And, you know, we're trying, our engineering team, it, it's, it's a, it's a crackerjack, top-notch NASA, ESA, Canadian Space Agency engineering team. And they have tried to think of everything that could possibly go wrong so that we are ready for it. They have backup plans and they have backup plans to the backup plans. So, you know, of course I'm nervous, but at the same time, I'm really confident that we've done everything humanly possible to make sure this machine launches and deploys and gets where it needs to go and we'll be ready to do science. What, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just one last analogy. I explain this to people. It's like, if you've ever played in an orchestra or a band, you know, you rehearse your songs, you make sure your instruments are tuned, you know, you memorize your pieces, and you've done everything you can. But there's that moment when you when the curtain opens and you're there and the audience is waiting and you're nervous, right? But you've yeah. done everything you can. That's the kind of moment we're in right now. And we're just waiting for the performance to happen, waiting for the music to play. That's where we're at right now. But we're, we're ready. That was Dr. Heidi Hamill, the Vice President for Science at the Association of Universities for Research and Astronomy, also known as Aura. One of the great things about this job here at the Peninsula Pulse is the opportunity to call up people like Heidi Hamill and talk to her about the amazing things someone like her does. Really great opportunity there to chat with her. And when she was not on the air, when we were not recording, she did make a point to thank all the people fighting for the dark skies in a place like Door County. She did know that we do have an international dark sky park at Newport State Park and that Door County is a great place to look at the night sky. And she mentioned how important it is that people continue to fight for that so other people can look up to the stars like she did as a young kid looking out the, the window of her dad's car and looking up to the sky, looking at the stars, looking at the constellations and trying to find the different constellations that led to her to become a lifelong scientist and someone who investigates these things for us. So kudos to all those people who do the good work up here to advocate for the night sky. To learn more about the James Webb Space Telescope and keep up on updates about the launch on December 22nd, if you go to doorcountypulse.com slash podcast, we'll have links there to a lot of great articles and videos that you can watch about the James Webb. And I encourage you to do so because to see it in person, especially to see there was a great 60 minutes segment on this telescope, we'll provide a link to that. 
Also, just search James Webb Space Telescope, and I'm sure you'll find it. That is it for the Door County Pulse podcast this week. Thanks again, as always, for listening, and uh, we hope to talk to you again real soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.